Same time every year. It's been 365 days since the last Christmas. It'll be 366 to the next one. But even if you can't count, you've certainly had enough warning. If you've uh, been to any shops since October, they've all been decorated for Christmas, haven't they? And outside of my office, there's been a Christmas market since November the 18th. And if I hear Mariah Carey singing, all she wants for Christmas is you. (laughs) One more time, I'm going to explode. So just in case you have missed it, it's 349 hours to go. The clock is ticking. It's time for Christmas, and it was time for that first Christmas, the birth of Jesus. That wasn't a surprise either. Mary was pregnant, and the time had come. So let's pray before we read the familiar story from Luke chapter 2. Father God, we thank you for Emmanuel, God with us. And we pray that you would be with us this morning in our hearts and in our minds and that you would inspire us to love and to serve you to your praise and glory. Amen. Right, we're in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, and you can find that on page 1032, 1032. And we're just going to read the first seven verses from Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Very familiar story. But note how simply Luke describes it. Now, we've grown up with all kinds of imaginative things around Christmas. We've turned the manger into a stable. We've conjured up donkeys and cattle. We've turned unquantified magi into three kings. And we picture wide-eyed, woolly, worshipful sheep and a huge star hovering tastefully just a few metres above a cosy, romantic shack. And we've, we've sanitized Christmas. We use words like manger. This is a manger, apparently. Now, who uses the word manger in their normal? Can you imagine the farmer saying to his wife, go, go and feed the sheep down with the manger? You don't use that word, do you? You use trough. So I'm going to use trough going forwards. This is my trough. Yes, we've... we've smothered the Christmas story in ivy and mistletoe and other things. But Luke says it as it is. The time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. This Christmas story is no fairy tale. 
Luke doesn't begin it with once upon a time. He plants the story firmly in history in those days, in verse 1. In those days. And Luke introduces us to Caesar Augustus, who ruled over the vast Roman Empire from 31 BC to 14 AD. It's real history. Well, Augustus did a lot to develop the Pax Romana, that great peace that existed throughout the huge Roman Empire, enabling trade. And in order to do that, he needed two things. He needed a huge army, and he needed lots and lots of money. And he was a great administrator. It was one of the things he was known for. And he set about organizing that. A huge army requires conscription, and lots of money requires taxation. So every 14 years... He decreed that a census would be held throughout his empire to form the basis for this. Each man would be registered. Each would go and register his property, his occupation, his family names. It's great financial planning. Gus, I appreciate that. And we learn of Quirinius, the governor of the province of Syria, Luke's a historian. He wants us to ensure that the Christmas story is historically factually accurate. And that's really important for us to understand as we move through this Christmas story over the next two weeks. We hear of shepherds and of angels and such like. It's no fairy story. It's history. And it's history in accordance with God's plan That's a sign for a clicker. It's my first point. God's time. God's place. Joseph was of the line of David, so he went to Bethlehem, as the census required him to do. Now, women folk didn't need to go. They weren't being registered. But Mary decided to go with him, a journey of some 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now, whether she walked or whether she went on the back of a donkey, that would have been tough, really tough for anyone, let alone a heavily pregnant mum-to-be. It's like walking from here to Swindon. Can you imagine that? One wonders why she bothered. We could speculate that being an unmarried mother, she'd been ostracised by those in her own village. And she had to go with Joseph for protection and help. I don't know. We don't know why she went at all. But go, she did. And I wonder why God made it so hard for Mary. Why did she have to go? Why couldn't Jesus be born at home in Nazareth? Well, some 600 years before, a prophet named Micah said this. Can I have the next slide? Thank you. Micah. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you who who are too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. The one who is to be ruler in Israel, the Messiah, is to be born in Bethlehem. The one who's coming forth is from old, from ancient days, is to be born as man in Bethlehem, the city of David. The Messiah, from the line of David, is to be born in the city of David. So Mary had to go there. 
I wonder, was she aware of that prophecy? Is that why she traveled? Was she being obedient to God's word? We don't know. That's just speculation. All we do know is that she went to Bethlehem in accordance with that prophecy. So what was it that was necessary to cause Jesus to be born in Bethlehem? On the surface, political reasons, a census. Then Joseph's lineage, the house of David, and his obedience to that civic regulation. And then Mary's willingness to accompany him, despite those difficulties. Seemingly lots of human decisions, but God is in control. He's working through those great decision makers And he's working in the humblest of households. And while they were there, the the time came for her to give birth. God's plan, God's timing, God's place. Jesus came, but he's not mentioned anywhere by name in our passage. He's simply Mary's firstborn son. So there's a contrast here between the Emperor Augustus, who is named in verse 1, with the unnamed king, King Jesus. Augustus has power and fame, and Jesus comes in weakness, in humility. Augustus has glory, and Jesus born in humble, a humble, lowly, poor uh, situation. Could you imagine Caesar Augustus being born uh, wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger, a trough? No, of course not. He had been born in a palace, being given the best of everything. I suppose Jesus could have had an easier start to his his early earthly life. He could have been born in more comfortable circumstances. He could have had a comfy cot, not a trough. He could have been born in a palace, not an animal shelter. He could have spent the first two years of his life being brought up in a comfortable place. But no, he was a refugee in Egypt. He grew up in a a shabby town with a shabby reputation. He became a humble carpenter, died just as a criminal would on a cross. He swapped a crown of gold for a crown of thorns. Yes, he started life as he meant to go on, humbly, all the way to the cross. So Christ, the Son of God, who has glory and power beyond anything that Augustus could muster, he chose to put all of that aside in the manner of his birth and his life and his death. And why? Paul explains this. Can we have the next slide, please? Paul explains this in 2 Corinthians. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. It's this great exchange of grace. This is the message of the gospel. The glorious Son of God became poor, that we might become rich. He who lived perfectly would die, that we who are dead in our sins might live eternally. He came down from heaven, that we might rise up to life in Christ.
It's the reason for the season. It's the reason for Christmas that Jesus came to be born as man, to die and to rise again. And that death he died was for you and for me, that we might have eternal life in all its richness. So it was the right time. It was God's plan for Jesus the Saviour to be born at that time, in that place, in an animal stall in Bethlehem. What does that mean for us? What's our response to that? Next slide, please. It's our time. How are we going to spend our time this Christmas? You know, God's timing was not good on the face of it for Joseph and Mary, dragged from their home in Nazareth to Bethlehem, just as Mary was to give birth. However, timing was good for the chappie who owned the inn in Bethlehem. This is the time of year for nativity plays, isn't it? We enjoyed our own last Sunday morning. Cast your eyes back. Who was the star performer? I don't mean Kim, the Kim star. Who was the star performer in that? It was the innkeeper. The innkeeper was the star. But he or she is not even mentioned in the story. He or she is assumed from the fact that there is an inn. If there's an inn, of course, there must be an innkeeper. But dismissed from your imaginations a premier inn or a pub with rooms or anything like that, it would have been a very, very modest lodging place with perhaps a space on the roof for travellers to stay. But even a modest resting place, I suppose, has someone in charge. But for him or her, that business was really good. Those people were descending on this little village, uh, Bethlehem, for the census. And the poor chap, or chapess, was rushed off his feet. And the last thing he wanted was a heavily pregnant woman turning up at the door. He had rooms to clean. He had sheets to change. He had towels to wash. He had food to serve. He was a really busy person. There's a story told of a nativity play with a group of five-year-olds. Everything was going really well in the story. Of course, Mary and Joseph turn up, and at the end, they knock on the door. And the five-year-old Joseph asks the five-year-old innkeeper, Do you have any room for us? No, replies the innkeeper dutifully. The inn is full. But it's so cold outside. My wife's going to have a baby. Don't you have any place for us? And there was a pause before the little innkeeper says, I'm not supposed to say this, but you come right on in. <laughs> Do you know, I think that actually could have been quite close to the truth. You'll hear people talking of this passage in Luke as if uh, it's a story of people rejecting Jesus, even at his birth, casting him out of the nice warm inn, having Mary and Joseph wandering around in the cold until they find their o- the only place they can, uh, and sneaking into an animal shelter, hidden, unknown, uncared for. But I think that is unlikely. The culture of hospitality in the Near East at that time, especially for one who was of the same clan, the family of David, would mean that the innkeeper, or one of his neighbours, was probably being as kind as he could be in giving them space in an animal shelter. It was the only space available. But it would have been warm, 
And in the days where domestic animals were brought in to shelter in the ground floor of homes, it might well have actually been in the centre of that house, the centre of the home. Yes, it was humble. Yes, it was probably dirty. But there was time and space found for Jesus on that first Christmas. And so the question for us, I think, is, will we find him a little time and a little space in our Christmas, in all of our busyness? As the clutter of shopping and parties and concerts and cooking and wrapping and, uh, and hospitality, they all preoccupy us. Will we make him just a little time and space? Now, if you're not yet a Christian, that might mean picking up the Bible, reading the gospel stories. Or it might mean picking up something like this little leaflet that's on the back there and reading through it. Or it might mean coming to the carol service this evening and other services this Christmas to find out more. It might mean going to the Alpha uh, course being run in the vicarage in January, as we heard earlier. Because in our busyness, actually, there's nothing more important than the claims of Jesus. So nothing more important than finding that little time and space to consider them. And if you are a Christian here today, how might you find a little time and space for Jesus this Christmas? Maybe it's something simple like wrapping Uh, praying for the recipient of a gift as you wrap it. Maybe it's writing a card or a letter to someone who would really appreciate hearing from you and not just sending a card to someone who sent you a card because that's the thing to do. Maybe it's by inviting a friend to this evening's carol service or a family to the Christingle on Christmas Eve. Maybe it's joining in singing the carols at the hospital next door. Or maybe it's just not by squandering the time you've got off work between Christmas and New Year, like I do, but using it wisely, positively, reading, praying, considering the coming of the Saviour of the world and what that means for us next year, how we might respond to him in practical ways. So just as 2,000 years ago, Jesus burst into the scene in Bethlehem, We need him to do the same again for us today. Carol that we sang last week, O Little Town of Bethlehem, one of the most famous carols of all, ends, O Holy Child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. Christmas is a a wonderful time of year. The real wonder of Christmas isn't in our traditions of gift-giving and turkey and mince pies. It's not in, the wonder isn't even really in the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, took human form and was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. No. No, the real wonder of Christmas is that Jesus can be born in us today, that he can bring his healing, his peace, his forgiveness into our lives if, just as they did in Bethlehem, we make time and space to welcome him into our hearts this Christmas. Let's pray together. 
Father God, we praise you for your grace. We thank you that Jesus was born into the world that first Christmas in humble surroundings. That he went on to live and die that we might live. We ask that you would help each one of us to respond to your grace this Christmas time. That we wouldn't push Jesus out of the way in the busyness of the season, but allow him to enter in and to be born in us. Maybe for the first time, maybe in refreshing our souls again, that we might love him and serve him more and more. And we pray this in his name. Amen.